Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Kira Posey. On today's episode of The Lead, I speak with Wayne Drash. Wayne Drash is currently the cross-platform managing editor at GPB News. Prior to working at Georgia Public Broadcasting, he worked at CNN and holds the title of the longest serving writer in CNN digital history. During his time there, Wayne was consistently named one of the top digital writers in the nation by the national headliners. He has earned an Emmy and a Peabody Award for his reporting. I actually know Wayne from outside of this podcast. He was my manager when I interned at Georgia Public Broadcasting in the summer of 2021. It was great to catch up with him. During our chat, Wayne and I discussed the work that earned him an Emmy Award, the changes he's seen in the journalism field, and his advice for aspiring journalists. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Now, here's the lead. Hey, Wayne. Thank you so much for joining the lead today. Um, It's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, really good. Uh, Kira, what about you? Thank you for having me. Today is the day the Braves are celebrating their World Series championship, so it's a good day here in Atlanta. <laughs> great to hear, and it is. I'm very happy about the Braves win as well, and I'm doing great. Thank you. It's Yeah, like I said, it's great to have you on, and considering your career, I'm so excited to chat with you and dig into your work and um, your outlook on journalism and your advice for students. So I'm going to go ahead and get right started into our first question, if that works. So first, I wanted to ask you about your career um, at CNN for, for a number of years. So, so you worked at CNN for over 23 years in a variety of roles, writer, producer, health senior producer. So I was wondering if you could talk about a time at CNN where you covered something that really challenged you and how you approached that challenge. Oh, I, I mean, uh, Kira, I kind of did it all uh, uh, while there. I started off as a CNN.com original in 1995. Uh, uh, I just happened to be an intern at CNN, and uh, the website launched uh, while I was an intern, and I ended up uh, getting a job uh, right as my internship ended, and was a member of the original, what we called back then, dot-com dot team. It's now CNN Digital, the most read news website in the world. Uh, but uh, challenging stuff. Uh, I guess uh, the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, when 26 people were shot uh, and killed at Sandy Hook, including 20 elementary school children. I was sent up there uh, for about two weeks to cover it. Uh, And it it was very emotional and obviously hard to do. And uh, it is crazy on the ground uh, to see it firsthand, uh, just uh, the number of media members that deluge on a small town uh, like that uh, when when something like that happens and uh but uh the i mean the stories were i I mean the town the town was obviously emotional it was heart-wrenching and everything else and 
unfortunately for me, I've covered uh, school shootings since Columbine in 1999, and uh, never did I think that, you know, when Columbine happened, it, it was the first major shooting like that ever. I never would have thought that 20 some odd years later we would be dealing with them, not necessarily as routine, but uh, as unfortunately fairly common events. Just going back to that challenge, I'm wondering, like like you said, there were a number of media members there to cover that incident. Like when you're talking to people who are affected by such a, such a tragedy, um, like the, like the one that you were covering and that you've covered, um, like how do you talk to people who are affected by the tragedy and how do you like approach that conversation and interview with empathy and understanding? I, I would uh, like to believe that I'm pretty skilled at trauma reporting. Uh, I There's kind of a understanding for those of us that do, I, I, I was, I did more of narrative stories and so I was often there for longer, deeper stories and not necessarily one-off, you know, wonder hit stories, but I, I would try to spend an hour or two with a family member if I'm talking to them. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the trauma is just beginning uh, when something like that happens, uh, you know, and it, and it continues on for a lifetime. If your child has died, uh, there's going to be a likelihood of uh, divorce among parents uh, uh, later on. There's potential suicide. There's going to be uh, potential alcohol and drug use and so yeah you have to be aware of that yeah you have to show humanity uh, when when you interview people like that uh i mean they will they will break down and cry uh some people will yell yell at you if they don't want to talk and you just really have to uh be open hearted uh about that and be open minded about it and not force people into an interview if they don't want to uh, and usually uh, I found that people were more than likely willing to talk with me. I, I don't know why I, I, I'm, I'm other than I do have a big heart. I, I can't say why they would want to talk to me versus somebody else. But uh, uh, oddly, I, I, I enjoy uh, that type of reporting. I, I tell a story uh, that uh, in graduate school, class, uh, uh, my mentor, he gave out a list of story ideas and there was like, let's just say 15 story ideas on there and 14 of them seemed like fluff stuff. And the only one one that was on the list uh, uh, that I wanted to tell was, uh, uh, I was it was in Iowa City they, they're, and a young man had been shot in the head, a college student who was 18, he had been shot in the head in downtown Iowa City a year before, and he was uh, left uh, as a paraplegic. And to me, that was the only story that was worth telling on the list. So I guess I've always had an interest in intrigue and kind of telling deeper, richer stories that maybe have some larger message for humanity, uh, within it. Uh, yeah. 
And unfortunately, yeah. it, it, but in, even in that, I, I learned a lesson. So I, it was like approaching the one year anniversary of the shooting and the father, uh, when I first called, he was gung ho about absolutely. They they won the uh, tell their story uh, to Iowa City, and and then the mom got home and she was pretty pissed off and called me back and said, "No way are we going to meet and talk talk with you." Uh, and so so that was interesting. And, and so it's actually the one story uh, that I. Uh, I have never been able to tell, and it's the one story that kind of got away. And what? So that was 1995. So 26 years later, I I still wish uh, I had been able to tell that story. And, and uh, that uh, from from the mom's perspective, uh, it sounded like uh, she was ashamed uh, by what had happened. That or not not, not or I guess embarrassed that her once athletic son was now. Uh, quadra, I forget if it was a quadriplegic or paraplegic, but uh, and didn't want him in her view, didn't want to put him through the humility of being front page news. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that was a good uh lesson to learn at, at an early age that there's you, there's interesting family dynamics. Uh, even within a household, uh, about whether one should tell their story or not. Certainly. And that actually reminds me of some of the work that you did um, while at CNN. I wanted to talk about um, one of your pieces. You earned an Emmy Award for your work with Dr. Sanjay Gupta's, um, or for your work with Dr. Sanjay Gupta on a documentary about two boys who were conjoined at the head at birth. And that story was a very personal look into these families' lives. You, um, your, your team talked to the parents, followed them throughout this entire process of, um, of like when these boys were born up into when they were toddlers um, and through their lives. And I'm wondering, when you were writing and producing the story, how did you ensure that story would be respectful and sensitive toward the family? And like, what were those conversations like about actually, you know, following that family's journey? When it's something like that, it's just pretty natural. Uh, there, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, getting a family uh, to agree. But uh, when it, when it's when you're working with Sanjay, uh, it's gonna, it's kind of guaranteed uh, that it's gonna be told in a very compassionate and very passionate and empathetic way. Uh, we, we actually were, you know, not only did we follow them, but we were allowed to be in the operating room as a 27-hour surgery. The boys were uh, born conjoined at the head, and uh, I, yeah, I, I was one of maybe five journalists uh, who, who part of the team uh, who was able to be in on that surgery uh, the whole time. And then uh, we had done a preview story the day before the surgery, and that generated so much interest. We didn't know it at the time. There were all these news crews outside uh, the hospital at that point. And uh, the the hospital is uh, Montefiore Hospital in uh, the Bronx. And they actually opened up a, a, a room right next 
to the operating room that was, it, it was another operating room, but they allowed us to uh, do all our production in there. So I, I was going kind of in and out of either surgery uh, because once the first story generated so much interest, I was under the gun to kind of write a uh, big story on, of, of the surgery on, on the fly and when it was done and everything. So I was actually typing on a, uh, uh, basically a pan in this operating room. The pan is usually used to put organs on, uh, in, 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 in surgeries. Uh, and it, it was amazing. Uh, uh, I, I had never actually been, uh, in, in a surgery, to, as an observer, uh, before. And, uh, I, I had wondered going in if I was going to be queasy or not, because obviously, uh, I was seeing two young boys, you know, brain brains open uh and i was actually surprised that i was able to manage i, I was fascinated uh, by the whole surgery uh and i i actually did not uh i was not grossed out by it uh uh as i feared i might have going in but that that, that story uh, was a really special one and and i'm still in touch uh with the family now and it's been it's been at least five years, I think, at this point. It could be six, uh, uh, but uh, and and that's another one. That it's a it's a story that continues to unfold. Uh, one one child is doing far better uh, than than the other, and and so it that there again is another example of uh, a family story continues even after the cameras stop and. Uh, uh, and, and, and in their case, uh, both boys have special needs and everything. And what one, what, what, one is, uh, struggling more than the other. Uh, he just, you know, he, he, he need, he, I don't think he can walk yet, uh, but he needs a walker and things like that. So that's, that's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of work uh, for for the family on an everyday basis, e even though uh, the the surgery itself uh, was successful. And then uh, the the surgeon. So so you can imagine. So there had only been fifty seven uh, surgeries like that ever done in the world, uh, and this one surgeon at Montefiore was uh, sort of the specialist in. It's called craniopagus. Uh, surgery. Uh, well, that surgeon ended up dying of COVID uh, last year, uh, shortly after COVID hit New York City. And so obviously these two twins who were in need of a very specialized uh, neurologist, you know, the, the top neurologist in the world for their care uh, died of COVID. So that again, yeah, obviously throws uh, the family for a loop. Mm. Since um, working at CNN, you now have joined Georgia Public Broadcasting in Atlanta. Um, uh, from since being at CNN for a number of years, moving on to GPB, I'm wondering what changes in the field like have you noticed um, 
What changes in the field have you noticed the most? You, you need a digital platform of some degree to, to survive these days. Uh, uh, so GPB uh, has always been uh, radio focused and they always will be, but uh, you also need to be uh, willing to change with the times. Uh, Kira, if you think about that, your generation, uh, most of you probably listen to music on apps like Spotify or whatever uh, your favorite app is going to be. Or your cars, if you have a newer car, they have XM radio. So your generation uh, may not even know where the FM dial is on your car radio. And so uh, as you have more and more cars and more and more of uh, your generation coming into their own, if you don't have some sort of digital capabilities uh, as a news network, uh, you're going to be in trouble long term. And so we're, we are kind of trying to take that initiative. Uh, uh, and, and, and digital is beyond just having a website. Digital is having a platform that in our case, you, we can get uh, uh, you know, the radio product streamed out through digital via Alexa and other apps. It's a digital is uh, producing podcasts that obviously go out uh, through digital platforms. And, and that, that, you know, there's a bit of tug of war with, in which people think uh, doing digital is only uh, telling, you know, short sort of stories online, which that, that is also a key component, but, but it goes, uh, uh, much further and much beyond that, in in my opinion. Listen, Wayne, we've talked a lot about, of course, your career, which is, as somebody who has worked with you before, it is so cool to just hear about those specific instances. Of course, I knew some before, um, but it was, you know, great to hear it. And all throughout this, I've been wondering, like, what is your advice for people who might just be starting into their career and who are aspiring journalists and aspiring news professionals? Well, uh, Kira, I will tell you another uh, story of mine uh, that's uh, very relevant to you and every other uh, young journalist uh, there at Georgia. Uh, my quick advice is you, you never know when your life is going to change. My, my life changed in, in one weekend. Uh, I, I was a graduate student in, in, in graduate school at the University of Iowa, and it was my duty this one weekend to host uh, this woman from CNN. Uh, her name uh, was Gail Evans at the time. She was the head of guest bookings, and uh, I, I was actually dreading her coming because I think I had like a test or something on Monday or probably some papers uh, that were due on Monday as well. And so I was stressed out about that. And I actually, uh, I wasn't looking forward to her coming because it seemed like it was, she was going, she was creating stress in my life because she was interfering uh, with my schoolwork. And it's the ultimate lesson of uh, not seeing uh, the forest through the trees because she and I got along wonderfully that weekend. And so she left on a Sunday and she had me, she had an internship for me by Monday, by the time she got back to Atlanta. And so then I came to Atlanta 
uh, on, on a whim, and that's how my career started, and I ended up being there for two decades. It, it's it, uh, very lucky, very fortunate. Uh, so I tell all young students that when a person like me or from, or from, from another news organization visits, uh, get their card and definitely follow up with them because you never know uh, when that you know, life-changing moment might happen to, to you. You know, I think that what your advice, anybody can benefit from. So thank you for that. Um, as we wrap up, I was wondering if there was anything that we didn't chat about that you think will be beneficial for our listeners to know. Hmm. I, I think we've done a good job. I'm, I'm try, trying to think. I, I guess my question to you would be, what, what is your view of the current state of journalism as a young person? I think what you said about being accustomed to mobile, being having a great mobile site, you know, having a digital product is so, so, so important. And also as um, something that we've been talking a lot about in my classes um, has been as, you know, more and more subscriptions services come out, people have to choose what they pay for, um, whether that's Netflix, um, Disney Plus, or whether that's canceling their subscription to their paper, whether that be a local or, or, at, a, or at a national level. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the industry of journalism adjusts to that um, and which, you know, organizations come out and which ones, which ones don't. I mean, I'm interested to see that. Right. $5 here, $5 there, that then, you know, after a year, the $5 subscriptions become $15. Like there's only so much that any of any and all of us can bear. Right. And so it is a, it, it is an interesting question as to, Who's, who's going to survive and who's not uh, in, in the future. Definitely. Um, well, again, Wayne, thank you so much for joining the lead. Um, and it was great to talk to you. Have a great rest of your day. Go dogs. Thanks to Wayne for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Kira Posey. Our producer is Dr. Keith Herndon, the executive director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. And this is actually the last episode of the season. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for listening and catching up with us. We will see you in January. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.